Stories within stories. Meanings that point upwards. The cross behind the camera. We're Josh and Brandon, and this is Crossover Collab, Director's Cut. made myself a fresh cup of coffee so i'm here now i apologize for the lateness but oh don't worry about it don't worry about it (laughs) sweet man so yeah scorsese um shutter island oh what a film it's crazy have i watched a film and rooted for a character to be wrong so much right definitely it's i feel like you're in the same seat as him in terms of confusion. And it was just stunning to follow all the way through. But it was frustrating because I actually watched this film on the way back to England um, on the plane. And about halfway through, I stopped watching it. Uh, <laughs> I I crap myself when I'm flying. So the idea of something being quite on the edge and stressful really didn't help the experience <laughs> so Not gonna lie. <laughs> I, I i had a very similar thing uh i kept i think it was around the halfway mark as well because that's when he starts getting to like the like darker parts of the asylum yeah, yeah 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 um yeah i had to keep pausing it and like looking slightly ahead in the netflix thing to see if uh any jump scares are about to happen because that's one thing I can't deal with uh, is jump scares. I, yeah, I'd same. like to think that I'm all right with the psychological side because it's like, you mm-hmm. know, the it, it's well crafted, but uh, literally jump scares. Even even when I'm playing a video game and it's like, you know, it can't. It doesn't yeah. even have to be something scary. Just as long as it's something I wasn't expecting. Honestly, yeah, I, yeah. I totally agree. It's like it's borderline horror like it gives such horror vibes that um particularly that scene where he's walking through the gardens and you've got that woman that's looking at him and make and like shushing oh, him yeah. bro that was like terrifying i was like it's i like don't the, know if this is yeah. borderline oh. like horror yeah and especially when it reached the point where you've got like all the rats and stuff um on yeah, the exactly. on the shoreline and he's like you know stepping in between them all it's like it it turns very surrealist um Mm -hmm. or at least it it borrows some kind of filmmaking techniques from that and you know what right from the very beginning of the film which of course it would because it's scorsese and he's a film nerd um Mm -hmm. it breaks the 180 degree rule pretty much all the way through like i i wasn't constantly like paying attention to that and i think i'd need to watch it again to fully appreciate what the camera's doing but right mm. from the get-go i think it's pretty much when he first talks to what we think at the time is his partner um i'm pretty sure that shot i mean i could be wrong but f- i i watched it over a couple of times that that bit and i was like yeah i'm pretty sure that breaks the 180 degree rule because it's like looking over one of his shoulders when uh he's walking through the gate 
um, and then it mm. like looks on his other shoulder when they're talking. So already, like with the camera work and stuff, they get you to be mm. on edge and like there's something not right. And oh, brilliant acting yeah. from everyone involved. You can't trust oh, what anyone is thinking or doing. It's that's it. It's it really is, and I think that's what I love so much about it. It was, it's got that real sense of unease, uncertainty. Um, to the point where, like I said, I stopped watching it halfway through, ended up finishing it. But as, as you said, even from the beginning, there's constant questions that are being planted. Um, the simple thing is, how have they only just started talking to each other on the boat and being like, oh, where are you from? You're my new partner. I'm like, why yeah. is this not being established before they've started like sailing? And it was just that simple thing of, Okay, there's something a little off here. What what's happening? And Definitely. it was it it was just a beautiful twist at the end because it's as a drama student, I say a drama student. Well, when I did A level and Jesus in GCSE drama, there was this regular occurrence that would when people would start making their own plays or start talking about making their own plays, you could tell that they had this sense of I am a genius when (laughs) it would usually be like at the end of it he's just a prisoner in an asylum and like this is all just going on inside his head and i hated it it was just the most cliche most boring thing that i heard and saw quite often but when it happened in this film for some reason it didn't give me a sense of um disappointment or annoyance i was like okay this is a premise that i've seen and heard of before but it was executed beautifully yeah, right. And it's just the simple filmmaking techniques, the constant atmosphere of being on the edge just really gives you that. I think it, it puts you in a position where deep down you know that there's something else going on. Deep down you mm. probably know that's the case, but as you said, you're probably just doubting yourself a lot. You're really hoping that it isn't him inside his own head, that it isn't. Exactly. Yeah. And like being the uh, prisoner, and so it's a shame when it's like, oh damn, he is. It's disappointing, <laughs> but in a, such a great yeah. way. <laughs> and yeah, it really is. Like, um, yeah, every little detail in there that points towards it. But it, it kind of, it's the clever thing about it is that it really gets you to believe that he's right, and that like mm-hmm. everyone else is crazy except for him that he's yeah. the only one who's sane when in fact it's the other way around that he's insane and the people around him are trying to help him to come to terms with his trauma. And yeah. and we just think that because he's in that traumatic environment, that that's why all of these delusions are coming forward. But when you realize that they've been with him the whole time and that what he's actually experiencing is withdrawal, it's like, what? And again, it's like, you know, we live in a world now where post-1984 being released, we've got tons of films like, you know, The Matrix and, uh, I don't know, like Hunger Games and all these dystopias. And yeah. we really want to buy into that narrative of um, the man is conspiring against us and the people mm-hmm. in charge aren't on our side and um, none of us are strong enough individually to take it down. So we love seeing these movies where the system gets pulled apart from the yes. inside. So yeah. we really want to see that happen. And and so we don't even, we like 
when you see that fire coming from the cave, like if you think about it rationally, again, you're in the state of a movie, and we've talked about this before with Inception, where because of that suspension of disbelief, you're kind of going, all right, okay, there's a fire in a cave, I'll believe it. This woman is hiding out in the cave. But um, that whole thing with Rachel Solondo, and he just buys into it because she yeah. reaffirms everything that he already believes. So mm-hmm. she's just a projection of his mind. And that's the thing that really gets crazy that like mm-hmm. any th- you, you can't really trust anything out- outside of him no, because no, no, it could definitely. just be like a projection, you know, it could just be a delusion. So honestly, brilliantly done film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's I think with seeing the fire in the cave and those moments where the characters turn up, it really does feed towards that um, idea of, ah, yes, it there is a conspiracy. There is something greater mm-hmm. going on. Aha, I am right. You really are. I think it does do that job of inception. Um, and I, I guess kind of those fourth wall breaking ideas where you and the main character really feel like one you really Mm. are feeling the exact same experiences and emotions as uh, the protagonist in that you really want this to be true and you you will latch onto anything that gives you proof to be like aha this is wrong this is a conspiracy this is this is all part of a, a political agenda and then yeah when it gets to the end you're like ah okay so maybe it's a new perspective to look at myself rather than looking outwards and blaming big industries and corporations. And don't get me wrong, there are conspiracy theories and a lot of stuff going on. But sometimes I think we have to look in on ourselves to be like, okay, let's see if we're just latching on to something that's given us the excuse to blame a bigger system mm. or to actually look in on ourselves and... Oh, they do it so well. And I, th- I think that's a beautiful thing about it being the island as well because you, you've you got the, yeah. the first kind of shot, massive island. Okay. I, for me, and I, this might just be me, I think there's this big pre-assumption of it's like the whole haunted house kind of vibe of it's a yeah, big, yeah. massive, looks rather like a deserted island in the middle of nowhere, bunch of prisoners. Surely that is the dangerous place. And that's where there's going to be all sorts of spooky stuff going on. And so I think it really does flip it completely upside down when it's like, actually, no, that place is completely fine. It's actually there for the benefit of the prisoners. It's the person that's coming towards it. The person that you think is sane and normal, that actually is the problem. And that's actually committing the most violence in the place. (laughs) Yeah, right. It, It really is such a movie and i i think it, it sits really well with um other films like uh nightcrawler fight club uh joker last year that came out yeah this idea that like we've got films today that uh take us into the perspective of someone that if we were presented that story from any other perspective they would mm-hmm. be the antagonist yeah. um but because we see it from their perspective we sympathize with them we relate to them And we assume that they are right, even if they're clearly not. And the fact that all the clues towards it are there uh, in the film the whole way through and that you, like he is, are refusing to see the truth. 
Because mm-hmm. as well, I was like, I was looking at the little details that changed over time because I was looking at it as like um, one of those typical kind of tragedies, uh, kind of in the yeah. 1984 sense. So there's that that idea of how, uh, you know, when he stops using his own tobacco right at the start, he gets offered cigarettes from his partner. Exactly. Uh, then then they run out of drink. They have to get food and drink from the, from the islands. They... Uh, start off staying in like the most secure building and then they end up moving to uh like the the working quarters and yeah and then they, they change clothes. Their clothes yeah, yeah right i was um it reminded me actually of um it was it was used in a comedic situation but in one of the old bugs bunny cartoons um there's one uh where he's like he accidentally ends up in prison. Like he's escaping these hunters. He like digs through the ground, you know, as they do in cartoons. And he finds himself in, in a maximum security state penitentiary. And uh, Yosemite Sam is one of the, uh, one of the officers there basically tries to keep Bugs Bunny in prison because he thinks that he's an escaped convict. And one of the, one of the jokes that they do is um, uh, they're, they're like, want to fight each other. Um, so like have a little fist fight and Bugs is like, Hey, you, you wouldn't be so tough without that suit on. And he's like, Oh yeah. So he like takes his shirt off, takes his cap off, throws them down on the ground, puts his fists up ready. Um, and Bugs like takes off his, um, like prisoner outfit and his hat and stuff, puts them down. He puts his fists up and then, uh, Yosemite is kind of throwing a few punches here and there, like, uh, really stoked for this fight. While Bugs picks up his uh, like prison guard uniform, yes. puts it on, uh, and then blows his whistle like escape convict. So yeah, I was I was expecting that that was going to be the kind of thing where they make him more and more like one of the inmates, and then accuse him of being like one of these. Right. Uh, in the same way that you know they set up about the the people that had been in touch with DiCaprio's character. And told him how horrifying it was in there, uh, yeah. starting that whole conspiracy. So you actually buy into it. Every little thing that changes in the plot, even to the point where he's on his own. I, I was thinking, as soon as he's on his own, that's it. It's that's it. He can't like can't come yeah. back from that. As soon as Mark Ruffalo's out the picture, he's got no one there as like um, to remind him that he's sane. But then yeah, when you realize exactly. that Ruffalo is actually his uh, therapist, it's like what. Yeah. So yeah, I know. Yeah, literally, it's you you buy into it the entire time, and it's it's one of those things where you really just got to follow the process. That you've just kind of got to have faith in. Like, okay, I think I I may come to a conclusion about this film and this fella's story, but I I may not actually get the answer. And I actually found in that scene where um, he's in that dark kind of hallway and oh, yeah, yeah. that guy that he uh, beat up that was sat in the uh, the corner of that cell and mm. I can't remember the name of him but basically he's questioning him and stuff like that it was at that point that I, I just had I had to pause it and I sat back and I was like right is this just going to be one of these psychological journeys that I'm just not going to really know at the end is it going to be like one of those inception endings where I'm just not actually going to know the real ending because it seems like it's just diving into his mind, but is it the institution or is it him? You've got that question going on, Hmm. but 
I really did not know. And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, Scorsese, I'm going to trust you, mate. I'm just <laughs> going to watch the rest of your film. I could make conclusions already by myself. But do you know what? I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to overthink it too much because I was also thinking to myself, was I meant to be doing some homework and looking at everything here? Was I <laughs> yeah, meant to be going yeah. back and forth and putting stuff together? And then I was like, actually, I don't really, I don't even think Scorsese wanted that. I think he does want it to be a journey and a genuine journey of confusion, the same as this character is feeling. So I think it was a wonderful moment to be like, okay, I'm just going to trust the process of the film. I'm going to trust this journey that I'm being taken along with, even though I don't understand it yet. And the sense of relief at the end when I was like, okay, this is it. I got through this confusion and I started to see the the conclusion and where it's come to. And it's just, it's brilliant. But mm. of course, we, we still are left on a bit of a tangent because you don't fully know if he's still in his delusion of... Um, I'm just a detective, or as yeah. he hints, he's like, "Oh, uh, that's." Oh, I I honestly think, deep down, I think he knows that he's unwell, that he's mentally unfit. But I think he's just taking the opportunity, so he co- he can't hurt anyone else anymore. I think he's just taking the opportunity to go. Do you know what? Let me just live as a peaceful man and kill that yeah. part of me. Well, it's really interesting because that question that he asks at the end. Um, it reminds you of that one, of, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It really did. Yep. Um, <laughs> but um, kind of gets at it in a slightly different way because the, the meaning behind it is different. It's not just literally what he's saying because, like, yeah, as you say, in, in The Dark Knight, there's that idea of, um, like, a good man then becoming bad uh, because of the idea of like a golden age coming to an end and that was like don't peak too soon and that that kind of thing whereas in Shutter Island that becomes like an admission of sanity like for him to ask that question um about like you know um is it better to die as a good man or to live as a monster he's asking that question and it shows that um, he's wondering whether or not he should get the lobotomy um, whether, whether he should deliberately pretend to have these delusions again, just so that he doesn't have to be aware of anything for the rest of his life and become one of these monsters he was afraid of becoming. But um, because he doesn't say it as a statement and he asks it as a question instead, yeah. it, it doesn't show enough self-awareness for them to go, all right, stop. We're not going to go ahead with the lobotomy. So it's almost as if he does it knowing that that would be the outcome um, as if he thinks he's too far gone or whatever. But yeah, so that that's the, uh, the ambiguity around the ending and what people are still baffled about today. Um, Obviously myself included, because I've only seen it the once, I think I'd need to watch it through again to see how much he's actually trying to, be saying again kind of thing but yeah yeah man and it's just that that subtle um gesture of mark ruffalo where it's like ah Mm. i i I see you and i see what you're doing but i think it's really lovely to acknowledge that again from my conclusion of it um same as i have a conclusion for the end of inception as well um which might be too far-fetched 
but uh, it's just that I um, I love that it's like acknowledging that we're going towards something greater and that actually he gets to be peaceful with himself because I think with yeah. the lobotomy, he's he's killing the monster and I think he, he's going to live his days out as a, a peaceful marshal and but yeah, that's more with my conclusion. I, I think it's purposely meant to be open-ended and uh, ambiguous and stuff like that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, on a tangent, it's really weird because for some reason, I have not seen one film of Mark Ruffalo's since um, before Avengers and the Hulk and stuff like that. And suddenly he's just started popping up in all the films I'm watching <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is I, such a good actor. Like, I don't think I've seen more. anything bad that he's in. He's, he's fantastic. I just saw um, Zodiac, uh, which oh, is just yeah. popped up on Netflix. Bro, yeah. That's a great I want to watch that. Um, yeah. It's so good because I just watched a documentary recently on this guy who thinks his father is a Zodiac killer. Um, so the thing is, that is also devastating because, bro, honestly, do you know what? It kind of follows the same kind of idea as Shutter Island. I, I genuinely didn't plan this, I promise you. <laughs> but he, um, you follow him through and you, you are convinced by all the evidence that he's providing, by this documentary crew following him, you are convinced that his father is a Zodiac killer. It's only when you get near the end that bringing all evidence together, this documentary crew basically goes to other professionals and to get second and third opinions and to see if um, they can confirm the evidence. And in every single scenario, they've said, actually, this isn't evidence. Actually, this thing is wrong and actually you like there was one thing that one of the zodiac codes uh, in the letters is um the zodiac killer said in this code my identity is here and the way that the uh the bloke looked at the the code he found his father's name in it but when these guys went to other professionals this um guy basically said you can take any name that has this amount of letters and find it in this code you can you can Whoa. do anything any name and so the simple little things like that and at the end you start to realize it comes to the conclusion that if this this fella really just wants to know who his father was and he never knew so he is so ingrained and so self-absorbed in convincing himself that his father is a zodiac killer that the, he, he actually ends up um forging documents and changing stuff like that wow. but he, he is fully convinced that his dad is a zodiac killer and it's just, it's mind-blowing to take a seat back. And like Shutter Island, it's like you, along with the protagonist, are convinced that you're following something that you you think that you know, that you've concluded, but you need to stay al- along for the entire journey. You need to look at it objectively and then make that conclusion. Mm. And um, But yeah, coming back to that, the Zodiac film, Basically, by the end of the film, they bring up the number one suspect that they think is actually the Zodiac Killer, and it's way more convincing than the documentary. But even then again, the reason they haven't fully identified is because they don't have 100% evidence, and so you're always left with this sense of ambiguity. The whole point of me bringing up the Zodiac film was just to say that Mark Ruffalo was in it, but yeah. <laughs> um, but actually well, going on to a tangent, it, 
it supports yeah. that idea of looking at things objectively much more. Definitely. You know, so. And um, it's it's something big today, I think, where we we like this idea that we get we get pulled along by the film narrative without stopping to think about well to think about it objectively. Yeah, we yeah. we get we get given this, which is why I think it's uh, it can be quite dangerous the way people and when I say people, I mean some people generally tend to view movies um, where they they can come away with it. I'm not going to say with the the wrong uh, message because yeah. again, like films like that are meant to be open-ended and you're meant to have your own response to it. Otherwise there's no point in it existing. It's basically propaganda otherwise. But um, like I think because of there being so many movies out there where they take us on this like really illogical when you think about it, but really emotional storyline you tend to believe that character that you get put with like, so yeah, something as simple as these uh, like dystopian movies where we get shoved into a character's perspective and we get pulled along and told that what they're doing is right. And they're fighting against a corrupt organization or government or whatever. And we just buy into it because that seems like it's the story and whatever the story is, it has to be correct because the story is made up anyway. So the events of it can't be incorrect. They've got to be consistent with that that world that the storyteller's created. But when you apply that to real life, it becomes incredibly dangerous because there are so many so many people, so many organizations, so many groups that win people over purely with something that's emotional, something that doesn't necessarily have its own internal logic. Oh, and I didn't admit. And Apple, this is perfect. Yeah. Like, something that I learned with, I can't remember what I watched, but it was talking about the business tactics of Apple. And you realize in their marketing, they don't talk about their technology. They don't talk about what their MacBooks are. Well, maybe the iPhones go into it a little bit, but they spend minimum amount of time actually explaining the product yeah they focus on the emotion they focus Definitely. on this is what we stand for aren't we amazing and then w- one person put it um very simply basically what apple are doing is saying you got to believe in us because we're amazing with this look at what we support oh by the way please buy an iphone and a macbook <laughs> like <laughs> it's that kind it's of idea yeah exactly and it's like it's not like most business models where it's like okay we're going to talk you through why this is a great um, product and we also are pretty cool people it's and it's just interesting how these people are tied in with emotions and i think there's it's that really fine line in our culture and where we there are opposing forces and there are there is um there is sin there is a lot of uh, evil stuff going on out there and there are a lot of people corrupting stuff and systems but i feel that we do particularly follow this strong narrative of good guys bad guys and it's like it's i don't it's not as straightforward as that some cases i get it but i think there's definitely this sense of political polarization where it's one and the other and it's like it 
we're not looking at this objectively enough. It's a key word that keeps coming up. Yeah, um, definitely. We we talked about this a little while ago, um, but the idea of 007, there's this old uh, film. I haven't watched any of them. I think Skyfall is the only 007 film I've watched. But I've been described to me that there's this one scene where the bad guys come breaking down the door and... James Bond's basically making out with uh, some woman and basically in order to defend himself, he grabs the woman and they shoot her in the back. She's innocent, by the way, but because you're following this narrative of this is the good guy, James Bond's perfect. and He's doing it for the greater good. Yeah, and it's like... And in some aspects, doing it for the greater good definitely works, but in that scenario, absolutely not. It's like he objectifies women and just sleeps around. He's killing people out of nowhere particularly a woman that had no sense of, as far as I know from the narrative, had no sense of, I'm going to kill you or anything like that. Apparently she was just moved in the way of a bullet, boom, dead. I'm like, okay, we need to take a step back and actually looked at, look at this objectively. Was that a cool thing to do? No, it was not. <laughs> so let's not praise him for like, oh, but you saved the world. It's like, okay. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's questioning those actions. And one of the greatest, sorry, I'm rambling on a bit here, but no, I think this right. is one of the biggest examples where I'm like, ah, I, I got frustrated um, in this moment. I was watching, it was one of those soldier films where um, it was basically like an army squadron doing some sort of mission. Um, is it, I think it was Black Hawk Down. I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. I think it might be that. Um, and basically at the end of the film, it's this war in Afghanistan, and at the end of the film, a bunch of um, these terrorist soldiers in Afghanistan getting um, gunned down by, like, air support. And the people that I was watching it with were screaming, going, yeah, get him, kill him. I was like, guys, guys, guys. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, I know what you think that you're doing. I know, I get it. But objectively looking at it, bunch of these people were probably raised in very awful conditions and conditioned to kill people. I do not support it or um, encourage it in the absolute slightest, but also there's, there's more to it. I, I want our protagonists to succeed. Yes. But I also don't wish death upon people that have been brought up in very complicated circumstances. Oh, and yeah, so it's, sure. it's a gray line where you're like, don't know how I feel about that. That feels a little... I, I felt uncomfortable that I had to kind of sink into my seat to be like, uh, mm. I get you, but, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's an issue that I've uh, been thinking about recently because I have been watching a few more like morally ambiguous films and discussing mm-hmm. them with my mates and stuff like that. Um, and... The general consensus these days, which I agree with, seems to be that morally ambiguous films tend to be better at doing character because obviously you've got this 3D person. However, I've um, on the other side of that, I think we've got this issue with storytelling these days where because of like the tradition of the stories that we get told being so much about good versus evil, we mistakenly apply that model to things purely based on the fact that someone's a protagonist. And there's a difference between protagonist and hero. 
And that's a yes. that's a mistake that a lot of people make. And that's that's why films like Nightcrawler in particular, I'm gonna mention, um, mm-hmm. is is one that really like it's it's crazy to watch because you are actively rooting for a guy that does worse and worse things. And the further along the movie you go, the more uncomfortable you feel because you actually want him to get away with these very illegal things that he's doing. Yeah. And like he crosses a moral line, but when you trace it back, you can't really figure out exactly when he crossed that line. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a crazy movie for that. But I think, so, so yeah, like what I've come to think about, especially as we've been talking about this idea of good and evil is, um, first off to have stories that make it very clear what objective good looks like and what objective evil looks like. Mm -hmm. But then to also have stories that look at humanity and show that humanity is neither objectively good nor objectively evil. And to look at actually the fact that men are capable of both extreme good and extreme evil and that the purpose of a lot of stories today is to show us that one person can be capable of both of those extremes, sometimes within the space of 24 hours. Um, so yeah, like I, I think um, that can be very helpful as well when we're looking at say the Bible, because yeah, like keeping, keeping in mind the idea that an objective good exists from that worldview of mm-hmm. God being the objective good and yep. then on the other end, the devil being the objective bad. And mm-hmm. we look at them as a protagonist and an antagonist embroiled in an eternal battle. And we sit in the middle. We have the choice to either do God's will or to actively work against his will. And there is no middle ground there. So sometimes we'll choose you know, his will. Sometimes we'll choose the devil's will instead. And yeah. To remember that just because we have made a choice either way in the past doesn't mean that that defines who we are. Exactly. Um, which is why I think as well that I've been reading more recently the, the idea in the Bible of um, this kind of, uh, I think, do they call it substitutional? Uh, you know, the, when Jesus yeah. died on the cross, that idea that oh, yeah, he, yeah. he transferred our mistakes onto himself That is a huge thing because Mm -hmm. it's very easy to fall into the trap of, um, oh, well, we believe in God and we believe in Jesus' sacrifice, so we're the good guys now. No, we're not. We're not the bad guys either. And we never were the bad guys. We were just guys. And we sometimes decided to follow the good guy and sometimes we followed the bad guy. But now we're choosing to, to let the good guy live on our behalf that's exactly. the that's the difference so yeah exactly i i love that I, i'm gonna get that tattooed or something we're just guys <laughs> we're just guys man we're just guys <laughs> I, I love that as well because completely there is good and there is evil but the, i think the goodness of god because of his sacrifice in jesus christ is this idea of um yes there is good and bad and yes you have both sinned and done good but because of me these things do not define you and that is literally a gift that is given to all of humanity and so yeah we are guys and it's not and i think it's as you said it's hard 
particularly in this more old-fashioned sense of storytelling, to be like these guys over here um, are bad and the, and we're doing the good thing. Um, I've heard it say somewhere that every antagonist is the protagonist of their own story. They think they're doing as the right thing. As long as they're written right, then yes. <laughs> yeah. They're absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, you even look at Hitler. He thought he was doing the right thing. Obviously, wasn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I I would call him considerably evil, but he is still a guy. I think this is a, a deep dive into into the conversation. I don't think it can be very clearly summed up because I mean looking at the character for the millions that died because of him I don't think you really want to give him redeeming um, yeah, elements right. but I think in, in less extreme cases there is still the idea of redemption there still is the idea of forgiveness at the end of the day we all muck up we can do the simplest things and like people like him commit absolute mass genocide but there is still we need forgiveness oh, not oh necessarily no, you cut out for a second oh no uh i i still yeah sorry i had a bit of a connection for all right oh, okay <laughs> i thought you cut out when i said mass genocide <laughs> oh. <laughs> i did not hear the mass genocide bit right oh, well, uh... well i said that i uh <laughs> i thought i bring it up again so um but I, I think it is is definitely a sensitive topic that would probably um, mm. upset people, but it, it's well, it's like that's the that's the thing about to remember about the gospel. What makes it such a such a radical worldview, and the reason why people stone tried to stone Jesus to death multiple times before they finally killed him, is that idea that like even someone who did as evil things as we see in people like Hitler, Stalin, like those those people that murdered millions. Mm-hmm. Our the way that we see the world now because of what Jesus did for us, mm-hmm. that means that someone like that, even someone like that, can be offered salvation and forgiveness. Exactly. And that's like that's not fair. Like that, it, yeah. And it's it, it really is lie. a place to talk about. Completely. Like, to be absolutely honest, talking about this, I feel guilty and scared because of our culture that is 100%. He is an antagonist, 100%, and we, we are antagonizing stuff. But I, I personally feel guilty even suggesting that there is a redemptive aspect of a character such as Hitler's. And it's terrifying. And, you know, even saying something like that, I think really um, realigns the... Um, very bold and crazy statements that Jesus made. Mm. It's like, yeah, anyone can be redeemed, but it's intense, man. It's intense. Yeah. I think it, it's it's quite scary to talk about a character such as definitely. him. I definitely and the fact think as it, well that today we've got to see him as a character just to be able to reconcile like how depraved he was. Like, the the fact that yeah now we look at him as like the epitome of evil in human beings and similar kind of crimes that we don't even speak of that like yeah. when we look at them we go yeah that person uh, can't be given the term human we can't look at them like that yeah. but yeah it's like actually the the first step towards avoiding self righteousness I think is to look at 
anyone and to go, they are a human. They are capable of great good and great evil. Evil. Sometimes they'll do one, sometimes they'll do the other. And sometimes they will never be redeemed as a result of their evil actions because they'll be so far down that road, they will never turn back and they'll not even realize that they are evil. And that's something that the Bible talks about a lot, this idea of spiritual blindness, that actually someone can be so far from that goodness of God that they are just completely blind to it. They don't, don't even know it's there. They don't care if it's there. They have no intention of living any differently because why would they? And so that's the point where actually, yeah, you you need something as radical as like Paul on the Damascus Road, you know, the blinding light from heaven saying, stop, stop it. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's it's crazy to think that. Yeah. And, and it does, it like it demolishes all kind of pretense of like, oh, well, you know what? I tried my darndest today and I I'm being a good person. So God likes me more. It's like, no, that's totally <laughs> no, not, not it. You've got to remember, like you have done evil things. You have done good things. And regardless of how many of those you've done, God loves you the same. And he is willing to trade his life for yours so that you can get into heaven. That's just a, it's an incredible thought and it really changes the way that you've got to live as a result because you can't look at anyone the same knowing that that is how God thinks about them. Hey, mama. That, that's very, very well put. and I, I totally agree. And I love this new direction that, well, I wouldn't even say it's new. Um, in terms of, because filmmaking is still pretty new compared to the rest of our humanity. And I love how we mm. are still, we are beginning to take this, new perspective on humanity in a lot of storytelling i love that some of the best films that do come out we do have complex characters and it's nice to shift up that perspective of it's not just bad and good but humanity yeah yeah and it's like yeah bad bad and good do exist but humanity is way more complex than that and it's lovely that people acknowledge the um reality of it so something as simple as joker and Thanos and heck, even Darth Vader, which ah yeah, yeah, you know that's considered an old film, but I think even that approaches that perspective of this is a redeemable character who's supposed to be the face of evil in movie storytelling. It's really interesting how he is still a redeemable character because essentially, and we see that through the prequels, is that he's just a broken man who desperately wanted to save his wife that would go to the extent and it just gets completely consumed and lost in pain and evil and um but yeah it's lovely to actually find films and and follow stories that deal with humanity way more than superhero films which don't wrong superhero films are still great in their own way I think they serve a bit more as entertainment rather than f- stories that we're really um, learning from and that we're approaching as more of a genuine, authentic tale. And I still think, well, I think we're always going to talk about this. I still think this is why we love Batman so much and mm. particularly from Christopher Nolan's uh, adaptations and the new one, because I think he's just so representative of our humanity and yeah. 
how he's channeling his brokenness into something good. And as I've said um, the previous time we talked, that um, Robert Pattinson is focused, well, he was before he received so much backlash on Twitter, that he really wanted to approach Bruce Wayne, Batman, as not necessarily a hero. He's a complicated character. And this is why the Joker and Batman are kind of this idea of yin and yang, but they're not just pure opposite of good and evil, the way that they were probably originally portrayed in the comics, but actually they're both complicated humans that just happen Mm. to be on different journeys and spectrums. Absolutely. And And yeah, I think as well, um, the idea of like saying in the dark Knight takes the idea from the killing Mm -hmm. joke of, um, Joker talking about it only takes one bad day for someone to become as crazy as he is, um, which we see in the Joker film as well, of course. Um, exactly, that's yeah. quite a few bad days in a row. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll give him credit; he's he's kind of yeah, right exactly. about that. But the idea that Batman kind of represents that, as you say, that broken humanity that still chooses justice because the he's like, yes, it only takes one bad day for someone to become to go from pure good to pure evil kind of thing in terms of their actions but he would he would rather like hold on to that goodness and there is value in it because it's like the the opposite is chaos like the alternative to you know trying to be a better person is chaos and mm-hmm. yeah it's such a such an interesting way of of uh, looking at it that's why um, in in my own stories, like the um, the play that I'm in the process of rewriting because the dialogue was atrocious, um, I instead of looking at it as a, a case of good fighting evil, uh, mm-hmm. because of this idea that I was doing it based on like a musical world, I wanted to look at this idea of order versus chaos because that's what uh, we see a yeah. lot in music as a whole. This idea of uh, music being organized sound. And mm-hmm. even when you look at something that appears to be as chaotic as like serialism and atonalism uh, and mm-hmm. some of the experimental stuff in the past century, um, it actually does have a beautiful order to it. Like serialism, yeah. it's in the name. Before you write the piece, you decide the exact order that notes are going to be played in and you stick That's to that true. order. So again, it's that sense of order, uh, harmony <laughs> is again another thing we use. Um, and sometimes those pieces that are more chaotic were used to highlight the beauty of harmony through the ugliness of chaos. And exactly, that's beautiful, man. I, that is so true because when I first listened to Serialism, I was just, I was so confused. I was like, what is this crap? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting that even with that chaos, it's conveyed a clear um, response and a clear reaction to it. I personally don't think anyone's created serialism to basically be like, ah, oh, this is beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to fall asleep to this. <laughs> Fire beats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's it's ridiculous. It's I don't think that it was intended to be beautiful in itself, but it's created an opportunity to um, appreciate and accept the beauty of harmony, of what we consider more structured um, scores and and um, yeah musical compositions, 
that's that's really really interesting i i think the the theory of kind of like the chaos it really interests me and um i don't really have any strong thoughts on it yet and it's something that i'm questioning a lot but there's something rather beautiful about a good kind of chaos because if you think about yeah. it like water for instance that almost has a chaos in itself the air that yeah, we have yeah. it's like it's random it's chaotic but it's still got structure mm. um and it's pff, this is like deep territory man <laughs> and i guess this- as well uh, bringing it back to shutter island if there mm. hadn't have been that uh, chaotic experience for uh, um. eddie i'm going to call him eddie Eddie. Or is it Teddy? <laughs> Teddy? Teddy. Teddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those of you who watched uh, to the end of the movie, obviously, yeah, uh, you know that's not the case. Um, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. It's a bit late now. <laughs> spoilers. Um, why are you listening to this? Uh, Te- <laughs> Teddy <laughs> needs that kind of chaos in order for him to confront his past, which mm-hmm. in itself has been very chaotic and traumatic. So the idea of when he was at the liberation of the labor camps, that was a very chaotic experience. He was unable to deal with what happened that day, the the guilt of killing. Same thing when his wife went off it and um, she is like completely lost all sanity and all hope. And all of that, like that guilt that he doesn't know how to deal with. So he just like shoves it down. And then it comes out in these violent outbursts that led him to Shutter Island. And the idea that they they let him have the run of the place. I love that uh, when they use that phrase, like, we let you have the run of the place for three days, but it's time to stop now. And the idea that he confronts pure chaos, really, from his perspective, like all this violence that he leaves in his wake, his entire worldview comes crumbling apart. Even that gun that he's holding that he believes has been his gun and like he inscribed his name on it and he remembers the dent in it from when he fought so-and-so and nearly died and all of that. Like, And it comes crumbling apart literally in his hands. And yeah. so that, that really chaotic experience of his world literally falling apart is what he needs to start rebuilding his sanity and to become well again. So, Agreed. yeah. I, again, even <laughs> good and evil, order and chaos, it's its not as simple as we think when it comes to humanity, at least, because Completely. it's so complex. It's so complex. It's its really interesting because I think to get that kind of revelation, we, we do need to wrestle ourselves. Um, and strong theme that's through biblical narrative as well of, weirdly, in order to wrestle ourselves, we have to wrestle with God. Because he is yeah, like the, yeah. the objective um, embodiment and character of goodness, and so we we battle with that because we we've essentially we've got sin almost latched to our characters ourselves. So you know you've got Jacob wrestling with God when Job is questioning why uh, things have happened to him. He's yeah. he's angry at God. He's questioning him, and yet God says that actually Job is the most blessed out of all of them, for actually wrestling, for questioning himself and God. And there's this fire. And I feel we have to go through that that chaos. And I think, as we've talked about before, I think that there is a lot of hope in people who even have that almost anger for God. I think that idea of like, 
God, why has this happened? And, and questions. I think it is so good and healthy for people to bring questions because it's like, mm. yes, you have to go through this chaos at first. I think yeah, yeah. anyone who has a genuine relationship with God, I personally think that we do need that struggle, that wrestling, yeah, because yeah. it's like we're stuck in mud. We need to, okay, well, technically in terms of the science of mud, or something like that, you're actually meant to be very still and lie on your back. But let's just ignore that for now. Um, <laughs> or is that quicksand? I don't know. There's a reason I did, I, I've got to be in arts, not science. Okay, just ignore me. <laughs> not that <they're laughs> are completely separate, mind you. No, they're but, not. I agree. I've got another argument for that. True. Um, that is very true. So but that's but anyway, time. that's another yeah conversation for another time. Hundred percent. So. Um, but yeah, I think that we definitely have to struggle in order to see the revelation and to yeah go through that chaos in order to see the other side and and um not just be better people but see the world in a more clear a more objective kind of way but yeah it's it's incredibly complex and nothing's really that simple. Our humanity yeah. is the first thing away from simple so. <laughs> and if it's all right with you, I'd like to end with a bit of Bible because we haven't, Love haven't read much Bible. Um, just something I was thinking about as you were talking about this idea of wrestling um, with ourselves and with good and with evil. Um, from Ephesians 6, verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. <laughs> and that's from the NLT for all you guys out there uh, who are confused as to why... My Bible doesn't say that exact word that you used. <laughs> That's <laughs> but true. It's well, so true. Yeah. Everything we've talked about today, I think we can, can summarize with that. We're constantly caught in the middle of a battle between pure good and pure evil. And we always have the choice available to us as to which side we want to conform to the image of and become more like. And that actually, if we choose to live on God's side, he will give us that righteousness. And it's not yeah. our it's not that we have suddenly changed in our nature, but rather that we have adopted God's nature. Exactly. And just in the power of forgiveness and um and justice. And yeah, we, we have um we've definitely been redeemed in the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and um how although we still may sin and we still may be part of this battle we we've already won and it's yeah. good news 100 percent, man awesome Love man. It. next time on Crossover Collab. taxi driver one of those interesting movies no it's part of my diction now i came to an inconclusion he is now singularly consumed by this idea that he has to be a hero for society. You can't handle the truth. Oh, you're still young. You've got all, your whole life ahead of you. Just do something with your life. 
It wasn't me, Larry. I keep telling you.